Today I want to begin a brand new three-week series that we titled Come Back. There's a plant that I have in my house that if it doesn't get enough water, it just wilts. And the moment I water it, in a couple of hours, it just enlivens. Maybe there are areas in your life that's been wilting. Over the next few weeks, you don't want to miss it because the water of the Word is going to make you come back. Today, my topic is an incredible story. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to spend time there. Everybody likes a comeback story. In fact, just a couple of days ago, we saw it plastered all over the media with Tiger Woods winning the Masters tournament. What a comeback. <laughs> I mean, I don't even play golf and I was happy for him. I, <laughs> I haven't even swung a golf club and I was happy for him. But you can't have a comeback unless you've had hard times. And when you think about hard times, it began for Tiger in 2009 with the sex scandal. Then it followed with a divorce. Then the loss of sponsors in the tune of $22 million per year he lost. Then numerous injuries. Then in 2015, he was arrested for driving under the influence. Five pharmaceutical products or, or drugs was found in a toxicology report in his system. Then after that, multiple back surgeries. And when you think of all that, the media is correct when they label it, call it a comeback. Because that's exactly how he felt and that's exactly what happened. And now he stands, Tiger that is, he stands among the legendary comeback heroes of our time in all aspects of life. And so it's something when you see that occur. And maybe you have, maybe you have a comeback story and you want to see that occur in your life or you want to see yourself come back. Well, the master involved in helping people to come back is God himself. He knows how to establish incredible stories out of our lives that may seem plagued with areas of defeat or areas of disillusionment. I'm going to unpack for you a story where the central figure is a woman. And she has experienced a comeback moment. Why? Because God got involved. And it wasn't just this woman with this incredible story. Jesus actually was trying to get a man that was in this same circumstance to also have an incredible story. And you'll find that these two characters, the woman, the man, they're polar opposites of one another, but Jesus was still intimately involved trying to help them both experience comeback moments. The man was very dutiful. The woman, very defiant. The man was a legalist. The woman, lawless. The man, religious. The woman, irreligious. You can't find two people more opposite in the world than this particular man and woman in the story. As I unfold the story, you're going to feel almost like we're in elementary school. Not to say that I'm going to be, you know, basic kid with the teaching, but to say that, it's almost like when you go to the, the theater room in elementary school, the curtain closes and it opens up, scene one. Closes, opens up, scene two. Closes, open up, scene three. 
So when it closes and opens up the first time, you're going to see scene one. And what you're going to feel is if the woman is saying, I messed up, closes, opens up, you're going to feel that Jesus telling them change is possible. It's going to open up and, and it's going to close and open up and you're going to feel this. It's not over. Let's look at Luke 7 verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Curtain closes, opens, and you see almost, I messed up. I want you to go and be a part of this dinner party. Whenever I read the Bible, I try to insert myself into the scene. You may say, where are you in the scene? Well, I'm, I'm hanging out with Jesus in that dinner party. It's being held in a city called Bethany. It's actually the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Now, this is not Simon Peter the Apostle. Simon is a very popular name in first century. And Simon is like the name Bob or the name David or the name Steve or Joe. Very popular name. In fact, I was in Zambia, South Central African country once, and a Zambian guy wanted to really connect with me. He said, hey, I know an American. He said, do you know Bob? I mean, 330 million Americans, do you know Bob? <laughs> and so I had to say, yeah, I know Bob. I mean, so he said, tell, tell Bob I said hi. I said, I'll do that. So if you're Bob, a Zambian guy says hi. <laughs> but, but he's having, Jesus is having dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee. A Pharisee is a Jewish person, but it's a specific sect in Judaism. And the word Pharisee means a separated one. So these individuals, they're separatists. They live in cloistered communities. They didn't want to live next to people or near people that weren't like them because they felt like those people will defile them, make them unclean. And so they want any part of that kind of relationship. And so that's what was a, was a Pharisee. And here's Jesus now coming to Simon the Pharisee's house for dinner. And as they're reclining at the table, then Jesus, he's interrupted in his mealtime because a woman somehow finds her way into this room, finds her way through the house, and comes right where they are. You may say, that's pretty odd. It is. But in first century, when someone had means and they're throwing a big party, they would have the leftovers placed near the kitchen, so the poor of the community, those who don't have you know, any level of income and they need food, the hungry, the starving, they can go there and then take over and take home the table scraps, the leftovers. This woman, she chose to not go and get leftovers because that was not her need. 
The fact was that at some time ago, the Bible is silent as to when, this one may have been in the crowd when Jesus was teaching somewhere. And most scholars agree because the scripture uses the word, she is a sinner. And that word, in our generation, it seems like that's a very unkind word. It's not politically correct. Well, the history of that word is when an archer took his bow and arrow in Greek society and he shot the arrow towards the target. When he missed the target, they said he sinned. Sin is a directional word. A sinner is someone's life that constantly misses God's target. But this word sinner here was not just that ordinary word. It was a word that spoke a little deeper to the kind of sin. This is a person that was brazen in their sinfulness, defiant in their behavior, obnoxious in their sin, willfully irreverent, didn't care what anybody thought. And so when they said that this woman, she's a sinner, that's what they meant and that's what they, that, that's what they communicated because she has built up a reputation in Bethany to be someone that's a very rank, obnoxious, defiant sinner. In fact, most scholars agreed she was a prostitute. And so she was in the crowd somewhere at some time when Jesus was teaching. And she got a hold of his message when he talked about salvation and then, then how God can forgive sin and how God can cleanse the human heart and how God can change a life and how God can make you feel brand new and how God can let you start all over again like you're a brand new baby. And somehow, something inside of her heart grabbed a hold of Jesus' message and she experienced this incredible incredible story in that she got forgiven by God and she felt so brand new when she found out Jesus was going to be in her town she made her way through her neighborhood to come to the Pharisees neighborhood and she made her way through that back entrance where they would leave it open so that the poor can come and get the table scraps and get the leftovers and she made her way through the room and, and she did something that was so you know, unorthodox and she found her way in men's space and the scripture says Jesus was reclining at the table. I want you to see a picture of what this looks like. Because in our generation, we sit at chairs at the table. But in that society, they recline. They leaned forward at the table that was there on the floor, and their legs would jut out behind them. And so this woman now, she has this alabaster jar of perfume, and she's making her way through the crowd, and she finds her way in this men's space, because men were eating with, the, with one another. And she found her way in this men's space, and as she's there, she, she stands behind Jesus. I don't know how long she may have rehearsed. I need to tell him thank you. I need to just give him some perfume. This perfume because this is something that was the most one of the most expensive things I don't know how many men she may have had to sleep with in order to be able to buy that perfume and store it up for some memorable occasion in her life and there she comes with this alabaster bottle of perfume and she comes in and and all of a sudden the, the speech is gone there's no words that comes out of her mouth and then she starts to she stands behind Jesus which is to connote this is not a sexual position I'm standing behind him I I don't want 
want anyone to misinterpret my actions. And she stands behind him and then she just gets so undone. She starts weeping uncontrollably and her tears fall on his feet and it gets all messy. It's not just one of those little drops and you can't even see it. No, it's just coming out. It's just coming out. And then she starts, she pulls her hair out of the, the bun. In first century, it was improper for women to let their hair hang all the way down. And she pulls her hair out of the bun because, again, she didn't want to connote anything sexual. She didn't use any part of her garment. And she uses her hair and starts to dry his feet from the tears that have damaged it. Because she wanted to tell Jesus, Jesus, thank you. I never knew I could be changed. I never knew I could be different. The story doesn't end there. Verse 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them, or now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. It's almost like Jesus cleared the dining room and turned it into a classroom. And then the lesson was, change is possible. Can people change? Can Someone be transformed from what they used to be to what God wants them to be. And Jesus dealt with the international language. Everybody understands money. So Jesus decided, let me use money to try to help Simon, this devout, pious, religious man, see himself and see the fact that he's not right with God no matter how religious he is. He doesn't have a relationship with God. Because if he did, he would know what happened to this woman. He had no clue that this woman had been transformed, that God had rescued her from her state of lostness and washed her free from her sin, and she came to demonstrate gratitude for her being forgiven. So Jesus decides to hold up this, as if it were a spiritual mirror, in front of Simon the Pharisee. And he talks about money. He said, Simon, moneylender... Two guys owed him money. One guy, 50 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So think about what you make in one day. Multiply by 50. That's what that man owed a moneylender. Then there was another guy who owed him 500 denarii. A year and a half worth of wage. 500 days wage. It's a lot of money. And the moneylender said, since neither of you can pay me back, forget about it. I pardon you. Jesus asked Simon, which one of those guys is going to be more grateful? Simon was correct. He said, the guy who got pardoned the biggest debt. 
What Jesus was communicating to Simon, this religious guy, was this. This woman that has come here, she brought her alabaster bottle of perfume and she started to just become undone here and to show gratitude. It took a lot of courage, a lot of bravery, a lot of honesty, a lot of integrity, a lot of the sense of just appreciation to come and to tell me what happened when she got a hold of the message of God's love and God's forgiveness and how that message metamorphosized her life and she wanted to tell me. And so she, she, it was messy when she expressed it. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Kampala, Uganda. There's an audience here this size, and we were under the tent. I was teaching, and when I finished, they had a break time because it was an all-day conference. And the host came and said, Pastor, please come with me. There's a woman that needs to talk to you. And so they walked me outside the tent, and there's this woman. She's crying uncontrollably, and it's messy. And this host is interpreting because she didn't speak my language, nor did I speak hers. She was from the South Sudan. And she was telling me that something that I said, it was so, it was like medicine to her heart that was aching. And so, and, and she's, she's her tears, stuff's coming out of you know, the nose, and, and she's wiping her face, and, and it's getting so messy, and, 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 and then she grabs my hand, and, 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 and all this, it's not a time to say, does somebody have a tissue? It was one of those moments that you say, well, you just got to go with it. You just got to go with the flow. And, 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 so, and so I just went with it. And I want you to see when this woman came into that dinner, that, 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 that dining room when they were reclining at the table, and she becomes undone, and she's weeping uncontrollably. She was saying to Jesus, in essence, I, I, I owed all this debt to God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Everybody owes God. Because everybody has sinned. And the penalty for sin is death, eternal damnation. But Jesus Christ came and paid the debt that we owed God. So we don't have to go to eternal damnation if we accept God's gift of Jesus. And so when this woman accepted salvation, she was pardoned. And so she just wept. The Pharisee couldn't see himself. He couldn't see that even though his life had a certain measure of decency to it, certainly he was so coiffured, he was so put together, he couldn't see that he was still someone that was in need of salvation. You know, when I came to faith in Christ, you know, I thought I was one of those guys, like I was a good sinner. You know, I, I, when, I, when I sinned, it was, I sinned with style, with, with panache. You know, it's like someone drinking tea, they drink it like this, and then others, they drink it like this. And so I was the guy, when I sinned, it just, you know, I drank it like this, you know. And so I remember, I, I went to this uh, meeting, this, this crusade with one of my guys who'd also come to Christ, and so he was there, we we're both college students at the time, and so we went and said, let's go to the Bronx, this, this, this famous evangelist going to be there, let's go and sit in the audience and learn. And so we get there, and the evangelist gets up, and he's about to receive the offering, and so... I'm new to this whole, you know, church thing and serving Jesus. I was 20 years old at the time. And so the evangelist said, I'm going to receive an offering. Costs to do what we do. He said, I want you to show gratitude to God. Some of you, before you, were, before you had been born again, you used to just be a, 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 just a, a drop-down drunk. You'd drink all the time. You were just, you know, just, just always out of your mind with alcohol. He said, you need to give. And he didn't even call it alcohol. He said, you need to give your liquor money to Jesus. 
He said, if that was you, stand up. My friend stood up. In other words, saying, yeah, it was just me. And so he acknowledged and he sat down. So I'm sitting there smiling. Because I sinned with style. It wasn't me. <laughs> and then the evangelist went on to say, he said, some of you, before you met Jesus as your Savior, you used to smoke weed all the time, strung out on marijuana, and you need to give your weed money to Jesus. If that was you, stand up. My friend stood up again. <laughs> so that wasn't me. I, I sinned with style. <laughs> and he sat down. Then the evangelist went on one more time. He said, some of you, before you met Jesus, used to smoke two, three packs of cigarettes every day and you're killing yourself because you know this nicotine habit and, and you need to give your cigarette money to Jesus. If that's you, stand up. My friend stood up again. I just leaned over and I said, remain standing. <laughs> yeah. And the idea is that sometimes we think we're better than other people. That's how I thought. Because I couldn't see myself like this Pharisee couldn't see himself. This Pharisee, he was really living a life of pretense. He looked like he was right. The outside looked good. When you listen to his words, it seemed like he was morally upright and in right relationship with God. And there's so many people that don't even realize that, hey, you may be religious, but you're not right with God. Being religious, it doesn't mean anything to God. What he wants from you is not religiousness or religiosity. He wants from you relationship. And so this particular Pharisee, he was just pretense, just pretending. You know what pretense is like? It's like the guy driving to work. He's texting. He shouldn't be while he's driving, and he's not paying attention. So he, auto, he accidentally hits this parked car. And he gets out, and he looks at his car, and his car doesn't have a lot of damage. And since there's nobody in the parked car, he's about to scurry away and, and just drive off, leave the scene. But he notices he's right across the street from a bus station, a bus stop. And there were about 30 people standing at the bus stop. And so he goes into his car, he does the honorable thing, he grabs a piece of paper and he takes a pen and he walks outside of his car and then he starts to write a note and then he folds the paper and he puts it under the windshield wiper blade and then he walks away and then everybody felt, what an honorable man. He drives off. A couple of minutes, a curious guy leaves the bus stop, walks over, opens up the paper and says, there are about 30 people at the bus stop watching me and they think I'm leaving my contact information, but I banged into your car. Now it's your problem. Boom. <laughs> so that's pretense. Pretense is when it's a show to everybody. And so I want you to see this Pharisee was all about pretense, what people think and how he comes across. And what Jesus was doing is saying, look, I want to give you an incredible story also. I want to give you a comeback story that I want to help you become the, the real you, the God kind of you. I want you to be able to understand that for all of sin, and this one may have looked to be someone so bankrupt socially and so bankrupt morally, but though she may have been in greater deficit than you in moral strength, you're just as guilty. He couldn't see it. Pride is blinding. And we don't even know we have pride. It takes oftentimes someone else to tell us, hey, you got pride. It's like bad breath. Someone else say, hey, could you have, you want the certs? You say, oh, no, th no, thank you. Please, I insist, take this, take this cert. I say, no, thank you. See, that's how pride is. It's very blinding. You don't even realize it. You know, Muhammad Ali, in the, in the height of his boxing career, he always used to talk a lot of smack. A lot of, you know, just boastful statements. 
He used to say things like, I'm the greatest. You know, he says things like, I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. You all know what he says. And one day he's actually flying in the airplane and, and the pilot gets on the intercom and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to hit mild turbulence. Now, if you do a lot of flying, that's code language to mean we're about to go through a whole lot of mess and I don't know what's going to happen. He said, put on your seatbelts. And so the flight attendant walked down the aisle to see that everybody has their seatbelt on. She gets next to Muhammad Ali and she said, excuse me, Mr. Ali, please buckle up. He looked at her and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. <laughs> and she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> see, sometimes we don't see our pride. We don't see, you know, that we're, we think we're all that. And I want you to realize God is interested in breaking that thing in our life. I know for me, he wanted to break that in my life because I couldn't see my state of lostness. And I remember back then, here I'm 20 years old, about to graduate with my mechanical engineering degree, and, and I, I was an atheist. And this girl had been trying to share her faith with me about how Jesus loves me and he died for my sins. I said, I don't believe that. And she tried for months. So why don't you come with me to church? And for months I came up with excuses. You know what I'm talking about. And then one particular day she said, David, no more excuses. I want you to come with me to church on Sunday. And I said, oh, man. So I sat towards the back. And the preacher was preaching. But I was there critiquing everything, saying, if I ever get saved. See, I started to learn some of the language of the Christians. Saved means if I ever give my life to Jesus. I said, if I ever get saved, I'll never go to this church. I'll go to a church that's a bit more intellectual. Because I thought I was all that. And so the preacher stopped in the middle of his sermon, pointed in my direction, and said, it doesn't matter what your educational level is. Here we preach the word of God that a baby could understand. Then he went back into his sermon. I got so scared, I sat there like this. I said, I said I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not thinking anything else in this church. I'm just, you know, from now on, my mind is shut. I'm nothing, no thoughts, because you're not going to read what I'm thinking, because I'm not thinking anything. <laughs> See, the idea was that God wanted to rescue me. And sometimes we think that we're all that and we're, we're really lost and we're empty and disillusioned. And that was the state with this Pharisee. He, he thought he was okay, but Jesus was holding up the mirror in front of him saying, Sir, you may be looking at this woman and giving her this stink eye, the Hawaiian phrase that means uh, this nasty glaring look. And you're looking and saying, how did she get into my house? And what, what in the world is she doing here? And I want you to see yourself. Jesus holds up this mirror and he shows Simon the Pharisee himself. He wanted Simon to see. Simon, this woman was lost and she got found. She was broken and she got repaired. She was in a place where she saw no future, no hope, and I gave her a new life and I changed her. And the way she has been forgiven, I want to do the same for you. Don't be mistaken because you seem to be put together. Don't let that fool you. Don't let pretense, don't let pride, don't let self-righteousness, don't let those accolades of people don't let your philanthropy, don't let your good works, don't let any of those things disguise the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the goodness of God. And I want you to see Jesus. Come on, if we're going to give Jesus a round of applause, let's give it together. Jesus is in the business of saving lives. But the story doesn't end there. It's as if the curtains close 
and open again. And Jesus is telling us it's not over. It's not over. And in verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It is amazing. This woman, thankfully, she never quit because she knew that though she was in the, in the barrel and in the bottom of despair, given her lifestyle, her poor choices, for years, it still was not over. It is amazing. She becomes a testimony of what happens when God intersects a life. He changes things. He turns it around. What we learn from the story is that we'll be judged for our sin. But it doesn't have to go that route. And though your life may have been reduced and restricted, it may have been compromised, it doesn't have to stay there. What we're seeing from the story, this woman, Jesus is holding up as this wonderful poster child, so to speak, of a forgiven person, of a transformed life, of a person who's been pardoned by God. And so the old has become new. She's no longer what she used to be, been metamorphosized, transformed. It's like moving from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You can't see the past because the future and the transformation is so real. This prostitute has been forgiven, and the forgiveness was not a one-time glib, surfacy thing. It transformed her from the inside, and Jesus pronounced on her, you are forgiven. Go in peace. Don't struggle with what you used to be. Don't struggle in who you used to be. Don't struggle in what you used to do. You're not what you used to be. You're not that any longer. I've changed you. It is amazing the power of God's forgiveness. It sets us free. It liberates us. You're not the same person any longer. See, I didn't know that until I experienced what it meant to be transformed by the living God. See, before that, it was all theory and concepts to me. But I remember the day when I was changed. See, because I knew what I used to be. The sarcastic, cynical Foul-mouthed atheist that thought I was so smart. Started college at 16. You know, finished my first master's at 21. And so I thought I was all hot stuff. And, 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 and I remember when I was going on this journey looking for reality. And I would read all these Eastern mystics, Plato and Socrates, and books by Immanuel Kant and Dante, trying to understand the meaning of life. And the more I read, the emptier I became, because I saw that those guys were just searching themselves for something that they can land on to bring substance and meaning to their lives. And so I just started, I started getting more and more disillusioned. And anybody who talked to me about Jesus, I would refute what they said, because I would argue with them. It was really a smokescreen to say, that I don't know how to tell you I need help. I don't know how to tell you I need answers. I don't know how to tell you I'm searching. I don't know how to tell you that I want to humble myself and find out, is this God real? And I tried everything. I remember just, just working out, thinking that that's going to satisfy. I go to the YMCA and I'm lifting weights. I'm in the weight room. I'm by myself. I'm just doing some, some, some bench presses. And I put on that barbell. I threw on on one side, another plate, another side, plate and I held those 20 pounds. 
And I'm trying to <laughs> bench press, and, and this big guy walks into the gym, barrel-chested guy, he walks in all slow, walking in. He said, hey, man, do you want, do you want me to spot you? That's a weightlifting term to mean, do you want me to stand behind the, the, you know, the, the, the bench, and when you're trying to hoist it up, if it gets too heavy, I can hold it there so it doesn't fall on your chest? And so he's big and deep voice. I deep my voice. I said, yeah, man, spot me, just spot me. <laughs> I had to do something. So he's standing behind the bench, and, 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 and as, I, as I'm pushing the weight up, and he's pulling it up to assist me, he looks over the bar, and he says, hey, man, do you know Jesus? So I quickly threw the barbell on the rack, and I said, what do you mean do I know Jesus? Here in the weight room. So I started going back and forth, arguing with this guy, there is no Jesus. And so next time I went to the Y, I said, I'm not going to that weight room, because that crazy guy may be there. And so I went to the pool. So I'm swimming in the pool. Now, this is an Olympic-sized pool. There seven lanes, and there's only two lanes being occupied. Five are empty. I get down here. See, I grew up in New York City. I want space. I get down here. And so I'm swimming in this lane by myself. Then as I'm swimming to the other end of the pool, this, I stand, catch my breath. As I'm holding on to the side, I see a guy jumps into the pool in my lane. All these other lanes are empty. So I'm thinking, what does this clown want to say to me? What? Come on, all these other lanes, go over there. He's swimming towards me, and he's smiling. He's... <laughs> and so, and he gets to me, and he pops his head up out of the water. And the first thing he says, hey, man, do you know Jesus? I said, here in the pool. And it was a different guy. The first guy in the weight room was an African-American guy. This is a white guy. I got them black and white. They're both asking me, hey, do you know Jesus? And so I start debating with the guy, there's no Jesus, what are you trying to tell me? And so I said, well, it looks like I don't know what else to do. And then that summer I got this job working for this market research company. And they were hired by Snickers to go into New York City and to ask women between the age of 18 to 25 what they thought about Snickers candy. And so I had one of those clipboards. You have seen people like that in the mall. Or, and so I had a clipboard and so I'm looking at women and so I'm... 20 years old, and so they were in my category, women, 18 to 25. I'm single, I'm smiling, I'm in New York City. I even forgot why I was there. I'm just sitting there smiling. <laughs> and so this beautiful woman comes towards me. She's between 18 to 25. She's walking my direction. I said, excuse me, ma'am, do you have time to take a survey? She said, sure. And so the goal was to take, bring her into this big van, show her a 30-second commercial, and ask questions about her thoughts, and then give her a dollar for her time. And so she went into the van, and I showed the commercial. She gave me answers to the question. I gave her a buck. And then I said, now, my question, this last question, is not for the company now, but, but, but do you mind giving me your number? Maybe you and I can get together sometime. So I'm trying to pick up this girl. And she said, she, and she said sure. She wrote down her number and wrote her name down. And then when she slid the paper across the desk, she said, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> so when she walked away, threw away that number. I want nothing to do with that. And I don't want any part of that. But then it all came to a head. It was July 6, 1982 at 10 p.m. I'm in my dormitory and my roommate wasn't there and I'm feeling empty and I'm tired of being disillusioned and I'm wondering is there more to life than this than getting a nice job and making lots of money and finding a pretty wife and having the American dream even though I had none of those things. I'm saying there must be more to life than that. And then I remember saying this. I didn't even realize I was praying. I said, God, if you're real, change me. That instant, I was transformed. See, 
It's not over in your darkest moments. It's not. Just a couple of days ago, the Boston Marathon 2019, a prestigious race. One of the guys that was running, Micah Herndon, a former Marine. And a marathon is 26.2 miles. At mile 20, his legs locked up. And he started just going like this, got to go another six miles. And he's getting closer. And his leg locks up even further. And the problem is he doesn't want to quit, doesn't want to give up because he realizes it's not over yet. On his sneakers were the names of three former Marine buddies that, have, that had died in the war. And he was running in, in honor of their memory. And he didn't want to be a quitter, not when running in honor of their memory. And he decides then, I can't finish. And he decides to crawl across the finish line. Be proud. And I want you to see. Sometimes that's what you have to do when you feel like your life is empty and disillusioned. Like you feel like, I don't know if I can be changed. I don't know if God can forgive me. I don't know if I can experience transformation. I don't know if he would be receptive to me. I don't know if he's welcoming. You got to be able to say, I may not be able to have all the answers, but I'm going to crawl. I'm going to, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to ask him for his forgiveness. I'm going to ask him for his pardon. I'm going to say, God, it's not over. It's not over. And what we've seen is an incredible story of God's kindness and God's forgiveness towards us. And I want you to be reminded of that today. In this simple story in the Bible, God's in the business of establishing comebacks. And right now I want to give you an opportunity to say, I'm back like that woman was transformed. I'm back. I'm going to serve my God. I'm back. I'm going to experience forgiveness. I'm back. I'm going to accept God's pardon. I'm back. I want a brand new life. I want to give you that opportunity today.